cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Let's stand and sing together. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth. I give you my soul, 
you, man, to service. Pray that you'll just join right in with us. Amen. We're going to give God the glory he deserves this morning. Amen. Let's sing this song, The Power of His Love. Amen. Same key. Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be
Sir. 
thankful that he he knows our needs. Amen. He paid the price for us on Calvary. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to take our needs before the Lord at this time. Amen. We just want to remember these special prayer requests uh, to mention. Musicians can play that softly if you would. Amen. Um, I want to remember Sister Karen and um, Brother David. Uh, their granddaughter is sick. Keep them in your prayers. Uh, Brother Peter and Sister Rachel are not with us. Uh, they're traveling. Keep them in your prayers as well. Amen. I have a request for Sister Amber McCall, who is not feeling well, to remember her in prayer. Amen. Please continue also to remember Brother Mike Holloway. Uh, he is in the final days of quarantine. God would grant him a full recovery. Amen. Um, Remember Brother Tom and uh, Sister Kim in your prayers. Brother Tom still recovering there. I uh, want to remember the Whit- Whitlock family. We're not able to make it to service this morning, uh, work-related. We want to remember Brother Ben and Sister Rachel uh, Pritchard in prayer. They're dealing with sickness in the family. Uh, Brother Mike Pritchard traveling up in Wichita. Would you remember them in prayer as well? Traveling mercies. Remember Sister Sarah Buchanan in prayer? She's got the virus. Amen. And want to ask that God would touch her body. Amen. Brother Barry has a few more requests that he will make known when he comes up to, amen, to make those known for us. Amen. That's all I have at this time. If you have spoken prayer requests by uplifted hands, God knows your name. Brother uh, Mayo, would you come forward at this time and take these needs to the Lord for us? Amen. Come on up, brother. Lord Jesus, as we bow our heads this morning, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you. Lord, you've created a way, and uh, we have the right to approach your throne by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that this morning. We ask you, Lord, to remember these needs that were spoken. Many of them I cannot remember. But you knew each one, Lord, and you know the sickness that's afflicted each one of these individuals, Lord. So we ask you to, uh, um, on their behalf, Lord, meet the needs, Lord. That only you can do, Lord. You can bring healing to the body, healing to the soul, deliverance where it's needed, Lord. And we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the ability to come here this morning and gather as a congregation. Lift our hearts to you, Lord, and lift our worship to you, Lord. May it be received, Lord. May you forgive us of our faults and our failures where we have um, not towed the line, Lord. But this morning, Lord, may our praise be lifting, may, may it lift you up, Lord, and may you be glorified. You said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw men to myself, Lord. We desire to lift you up, Lord. We desire to be drawn to you, Lord. Lord, we pray this morning that your sweet Holy Spirit would walk each child, Lord, and touch each heart. May the word be the deliverer, Lord. May it be the healer, the comforter, Lord. We thank you so much to be called Christians this morning, to be called your children, Lord. It's a grand privilege, Lord, and you've, you've uh, foreordained us before the foundation of the world, Lord. 
Oh, it's beyond our comprehension, but we thank you, Lord. We ask, Father, now that you be glorified, you get all the praise. May the speaker have the liberty to preach the word with power and demonstration. May we all just step aside, Lord, and let you, the great healer, the great physician, do the work, Lord. We just love you. We praise you. Thank you for this opportunity once again. Remember all in, all those that were not able to make it, all those that are streaming in. Lord, be with each one, Lord, and we want to give you praise and we thank you now, Lord. Commit ourselves to you in your precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mark. Neil, uh, if you'd all be seated, man, I have a song that's been on my heart. Very dear to me, key of C, I will serve thee because you found me. Amen. Hallelujah. I will serve thee because you found me. You have given life. I was nothing before you found me. You have given life to me. Okay. 
heartaches now. Pastor makes his way. Let's sing the song together. I sing praises to your name. I sing praises to your name. Oh Lord, praises to your name. Oh Lord, for your name is great and great. I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name. today. Let's sing one more little chorus. Uh, Brother Ben sang this on Wednesday night. This is your house. We hadn't sung that in a while, so let's uh, let's do that this morning, and uh, we'll just worship him before we pray this morning. This is your house. Father, come and dwell. Oh, this 
Just open up in a word of prayer, if you don't mind, and uh, we want to continue to remember the um, folks that are not well. We've got some that are uh, unnamed. Thank you, Brother Andy, and um, also, too, Brother uh, Martin Dilling had a fall. Sister Judy told me this week, and uh, they're going to be possibly doing surgery tomorrow, so she asked us to remember him in prayer. Uh, the Stevenses are not here. They had a power outage at their house, so they're not here today. And uh, also, we've been asked to remember Brother Keith and Sister Sarah. Sister Sarah's having some breathing issues this morning. And then Brother Keith is going to be on the road shortly. He's going to be taking an exam to start a new job. So uh, they're not with us today, and we certainly do miss them. The Reynolds also are not here today, and I didn't tell Brother Jaron that. Let's bow our heads together. And before we pray, do this. Just say, Lord... um, There are things in my heart, and and you know what they are. So just make those known to him. And in faith, believe that he hears you, even though it's not written down or it's not spoken out. Take the deep personal things that you've got and just give them to him this morning. And then secondly, say, Lord, speak to us today. Take control of Brother Barry's mind and just move him out of the way. And we'd rather hear from you than him. We like him, but we love you more do that this morning. Heavenly Father, as we bow our hearts together today, and Lord, are just we're excited about the time that we live in. We have mixed feelings about the time that we live in, Lord. We have great expectation because we know that certain things are promised and they will come to pass. But Lord, how they come to pass and what that means for us, Lord, that's certainly something that's on our hearts and there's a lot we don't know. But, Lord, the very best thing we can do is just slip our hand into your hand and just ask you to take complete control. Help us, Lord, to be where you want us to be at the right time. Father, we have many needs. Lord, there's a list and lots of folks that are not here today and some that are sick, Lord, and hurting and need your help, having trouble breathing. Father, we stand together now in faith, believing that you're still a great physician Lord, you've done many great miracles. You've done many wonderful things. 
You have restored many saints back to the assembly again. We ask now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would continue, Lord, to just stand by those that need you today, Lord. Bring healing to their bodies. We thank you, Lord, for the work you've done with Brother Joe. And Father, we just realize that he's probably got a good doctor and good nurses and Lord, some of the latest medications, and we're thankful for all of them. But Lord, we put Brother Joe in your hands, and so we're going to give you the glory and the honor and the praise for bringing him back, Lord, from that edge. And I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would bless him, bless his wife, his family, Lord, I pray, and just restore his strength. Lord, we just we are, we are just confidently placing him into your hands. For every need that's represented here, Lord, I just commit them to you. Bless the reading of the word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. While you're standing, if you don't mind, take your Bible. Let's go to Second Peter and uh, let's read there this morning. Thank you, musicians, for uh, taking your places today. Second Peter, we're going to look in a familiar little passage of Scripture. They're all familiar. They're getting more familiar all the time, and they're familiar because we read the Bible. Uh, but let's just take a verse here this morning. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. May God at his blessing you may be seated this morning. I didn't mention Brother and Sister Smith, and we want to uh, just remind you to continue to pray for them. They're uh, getting back on their feet and getting back to what they refer to as normal. And uh, they have been very thankful for everybody's help. Good to see the Hughes here. Good to see the males here, M-A-Y-L. Uh, good to have uh, all of you here this morning. May God richly bless you, and uh, good to have uh, each and every one here. Uh, it's it's a blessing to be able to get together. Now, let me just say this at the outset here this morning, uh, that um, for and, it's, and this is for folks that stream. We really do uh, anticipate soon going back into the sanctuary. We're waiting on carpet. Uh, and if you have uh, problems with that, just go see Brother Ben. All right, he'll take care of all that. But we're waiting on carpet because we can't do anything else until we get our carpet down. Then we can put uh, everything back in order. But it requires uh, carpet. Don't go see Brother Ben. He, he's doing everything he can to get it done. And uh, uh, it's, it's coming along really well. We, we so appreciate how it looks and how it's uh, coming together over there. It's going to be really nice. But while we're over here, we have a sound system that Brother Jeremy put together uh, that has worked really good, but sometimes the signal just drops out. It did it on Wednesday night. We got halfway through, and the streamers, uh, let me tell you, I hear from our streamers, and uh, I, I appreciate uh, the fact that they're listening out there, but sometimes it just does, and we have no answer for that. We, we really don't know why. In the same way, we don't know why 
that some people get dropped off the uh, update list all of a sudden. That happens. I mean, we, we, we're, we're investigating. Uh, we, we talk to Google all the time, and we have no idea why certain people just get dropped off. We have no idea why this happens in our sound system here, so we apologize for that. But here's the logic, that if, uh, if it drops out streaming, we continue to record. And the, the recording of the service is available in archives after the fact. So we feel it's better to continue the recording so we've got it, uh, rather than stop everything and try to fix it during service. So we apologize for that. Uh, uh, I really appreciate Brother Jeremy and his crew and Lucas and, and all of them that work with the website to uh, keep it going and, and uh, allow us to be able to connect and we're very, very thankful for that. But sometimes uh, these technical glitches happen, and uh, we don't always have an answer for that. February 7th uh, is the Javed's anniversary. Uh, Brother uh, Anwar and his uh, family are very thankful for uh, all that's being done for them, and, and uh, they send their love and greetings, and we send them back to the uh, Javed's today. They will soon, I guess, join the club of grandparents, I guess, eventually. So that's exciting for them. February 10th, Danny Florian's birthday. Brother Danny, God bless you. Good to have you here. February 13th is Ernie Bilton's birthday. Speaking of uh, Brother Anwar, after uh, a lot of effort, uh, the Church Age books are finally printed, uh, not in Spanish, but in Urdu. I don't know why that, that's there. Um, but the uh, books are now in the hands of, of, of the believers. On the left-hand side of that picture is Brother Anwar's brother. And uh, they are uh, now distributing the books and taking them around in the country there. And uh, they've gotten this new little window of freedom over there. So they're very excited about uh, being able to do that in the country. And they've done a great job in the printing there. They're going to send us some copies of that. Uh, I'm also excited to show you this morning. I got two advanced copies of the English. And uh, that's what uh, these are today. We printed, I think, 30,000 of these. They go to five countries simultaneously. And uh, they're going to send us some uh, as well. But we also did the resume as well. And this is the witnessing tool that people give out in, in countries. Instead of giving them this book, they give them this one. If somebody comes back and wants to hear more, then they give them this one. So with the church age books that are printed, these are printed as well. These are $0.08. Cents, these are $0.86, cents, uh, which is great. And uh, they're uh, now on boats. They're on the way. Uh, there are boats that are... Uh, have church-age books going to Colombia and also to Honduras. Uh, I may have mentioned that we have uh, 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 we had 5,000 books that were set aside for Uruguay, and Uruguay is still so locked down because of the virus conditions over there that we diverted that shipment over to Honduras because the Hondurans took the books and gave them out to so many different people in that part of the world who spoke Spanish that they need more already. And so we diverted that shipment and sent it over to, uh, over to Honduras. And as a result of that, then they will, uh, we'll print some more uh, to go to, uh, down to Uruguay and, and places like that. So uh, it's, it's exciting. And there are uh, some new... Uh, things that are now coming behind. We're going to be doing single sermons now or, and a three-in-one sermons like Brother Hildebrandt used to preach, uh, print years ago. And uh, so those are coming now offline. We had to change our format a little bit. And uh, we were working with the folks um, 
uh, who operate the hub up in Canada. So it's it's really been uh, an exciting process for us, and now it's now it's working, and now we're getting all of those things done. All right, let's uh, let's take a, a a little time here this morning and look in the Word, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about something that is very fundamental to us. <clears throat> I was asking our young people, I had classes with our, with our Sunday school class on Friday night and Saturday night, and I was asking them, uh, are, are the things that we've talked about lately been made clear, uh, like, for instance, the mark of the beast and the seal of God and all of that, you know, were they, were they becoming clear? My intention is that to uh, make sure that some of these things that we assume people understand are clear. Because I think a clear understanding of things is very helpful, especially in times that we live in. Times where there's an abundance, an overflow of misinformation that's out there. And because there is so much misinformation, you need to have a certain sound. Not an uncertain sound, but a certain sound of the gospel that teaches us clearly. And then not only because I say it forcefully or clearly but because then you can take it back to the Bible and you can take it back to the message and agree with what's said there and know, hey, if even if, even if um, I can't explain it really well, the Bible talks about that. I have to say this, and, and I won't mention any names, but somebody told me uh, in one of our classes that at work uh, there were people who were getting their temperature taken by shooting the gun. You know what? At, you know that's just a figurative. But the thermometer that you point at someone's head, right, and take their temperature. We we all do that. We all know what that feels like. We all have experienced that, right? There are some people here who work in a setting where their customers said, "Don't do that. That's the mark of the beast." Now, I had that person contact their co-workers during the Sunday school class because I thought we were being scammed. But it's true. It's actually true that people think having the thermometer pointed at your head is the mark of the beast. Can you understand why we need to have clear teaching? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's almost unbelievable, right? So in a case like that, in a case like that, it's really great if you have an answer to give to somebody to say, you know what, I don't think that's the mark of the beast. My view is based on Scripture. Here it is. So it's really nice to be able to point people to something rather than just ridicule them or laugh at, at their answers or, uh, you know, make light of it. Because... It is a matter of life and death. It's a, it's a very important thing. I mean, it's going to really become an important thing. So uh, it's nice to be able to have answers to be able to give to people, right? And that's what the Bible says we should have. We should have an answer for the hope that lies within us. And we don't have to worry about, uh, you know, the mark of the beast being this or that or something else. We know what it is. And we know what the Scripture says about it. So here's something that you can maybe read or something maybe you can look at. And then you can, you know, just whet their appetite a little bit. And if they come back, then you can give them more. And you can uh, direct them to different places that have the answers. But the farther we go along, the more misinformation will exist. 
And the more, uh, you know, the, the more there's a, a need for uh, real, true, sound teaching. Uh, it, it's, it, it blows my mind the different things even that ministers are saying. And I'm not talking about the message rank so much, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, all, there's, there's no end to the theories that are out there about what's actually going on. So, I wanted to come back and title this this morning, Prophecy 101, which simply deals with the definition of what prophecy is, all right? And, and this is, there's a reason, a very specific reason why I'm doing this, because we're going to move on from 101. Uh, there are some specific prophecies that I want to look at that are not fulfilled, but that are going to be fulfilled and are going to affect you, okay? The future uh, for us, especially in our economy and in our government, uh, there are prophecies out there that have not been fulfilled. I believe the stage is being set for those prophecies to be fulfilled. And when they are, and as they are, they're going to affect every one of us. I think they're going to affect our status as a church. I think they're going to affect uh, the amount of taxes you pay and so forth. All, uh, there's going to be a lot of repercussions for things that are coming. And they're not things that I've come up with. They're things that I've simply found uh, in Brother Random's sermons and in the Scripture. I've done... Uh, a, a lot of research, and I'm doing a lot of research, and I'm uh, tracking back some of the statements that he made, you know, back in, 19, in 1960, 61, 62, and into the opening of the seals, and things that he said, and just kind of, he'd drop in a line here, or drop in a line there, or refer to a scripture. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, why is he connecting these two things here? And then you begin to look at, uh, you know, why does Brother Branham even say that? Why does he bring that up? And then you realize there are lots of things that are happening below the surface that are not, that are not headline news today. Right? They're not headline news. And so, therefore, I'm not trying to come up with, uh, you know, I'm not trying to create, uh, you know, a, a, a sensationalist. I'm not trying to be sensationalist. I'm not trying to be sensationalistic. Is that a word? I'm not trying to be full of sensation. How's that? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm becoming, I'm becoming uh, very sensitive to some of these things that are being said. And like Brother Branham said, <clears throat> there are all kinds of smoke screens out there. There are all kinds of counterfeit messages out there. There's all kinds of ideas that are spread out there. I think we, we know better than that. We know better than that, than to spend our time on things that don't matter. I think, I don't know about you, but I feel like I want to learn about the right things. I want to learn about the things that are true and things that affect me and my family. I want to find out things that are important for us going forward. Because for us, it's not just going forward, it's going forward and upward. Right? We, we, are, we are going forward, but we're going upward as well. And I don't want to do anything, and I don't want to be spending my time or spinning my wheels on things that are not going to bring me either forward and upward. Because there are lots of voices out there. There's lots of different ideas and theories out there. I'm interested in none of them. I'm interested in what God has said about this last day. And there's lots of things there, I think, that we have not really uncovered or not really talked about. So... If you don't mind, let's begin this morning by just doing uh, some basic things here. So we're going to start off very simple, and then we're going to move on up. Is that all right? You guys okay? All right. So in the Easter seal, Brother Branham was talking about the resurrection of Jesus here. And he says that 
uh, and, and not only here, but he says in other sermons that Jesus went to the cross and the grave with a promise of only one thing that David said. I'll not leave my holy one to see corruption. You remember that? And he said that's the one thing that David said that Jesus took with him to the cross and to the grave, knowing that if David said that, and David said that about Jesus, and Jesus could go to the cross with confidence that God's not going to leave me there. I am going to rise again. He didn't have a thousand different promises. He had one. But he believed it so strongly and demonstrated for us that if God said it about you, and it's intended for you, and, it, and, it, and it's, uh, it's your promise or your word, hey, you can die on the basis of that promise, and God's going to fulfill it. Are we okay? It's just like, uh, you know, Abraham and Isaac up on top of the mountain there. God had made certain promises to Abraham, and a man of faith like Abraham, he doesn't hesitate at all. He's ready to take the life of his son because God made a specific promise to Abraham. He said, out of your seed shall come many nations. Right? It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense. And then God tells him to take the life of his son. But Abraham goes ahead and does it anyway because of the promise. And God makes a promise to Abraham. And Abraham's confident in going ahead with what God tells him. Because even if Isaac dies on the mountain, God knows, or sorry, Abraham knows God's going to have to raise him up because the promise is yet unfulfilled. And it's got to be fulfilled. Are you with me? Okay, your voices are a little bit more lost in this tabernacle than in that tabernacle. So, don't be afraid to be loud. He knew it, the resurrection, would happen because the Word said it was. And every word of Him had to be fulfilled. Every word wrote of Him had to be fulfilled. He knew that it was written by the power of God, by the holy prophets that had prophesied that He would do so. And the prophecy and prophecy... Never fails. It cannot. The Word of God can't fail. I'd like you to say that with me. And prophecy never fails. Say it again. And prophecy never fails. If it's something that's spoken by God, it's got to come to pass. It's never a question of if it will. It's only a question of when it will. So it is not, it is not prophecy based on circumstances but rather circumstances exist because the promise has already been made. The world is like Sodom because the word said it would be, right? So God doesn't make a prophecy based on how things are. He's already said it way back, and it becomes that to fulfill the word. Are we okay? So Proverbs chapter 23, we know that when there is a prophecy or something that God has said, God said it's going to come to pass, then there's an expectation that's built in our hearts. And that's the right response. Let not thine heart, Solomon said, envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all day long, for surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. So in the same way that prophecy can't fail, if your expectation is based on the right thing, it also will not fail. Glory to God. Expectation is a ground of hope. It is, a, it is the, uh, the thing that's hoped for, the outcome that you're looking for. And that's what expectation is. So we have an expectation, for instance, that there's going to be a change of our body, right? We have an expectation that there's going to be a marriage supper. We have an expectation there's going to be a millennium. You believe that? If, you're believing, if your expectation is based on the right thing, then your expectation will not be cut off. 
So that's the promise that God has given to you. That's something that He has said. So don't worry about sinners. Don't worry about, you know, how, how they're living and how they're doing and what success they have. Don't worry about any of that. The promises that God has made about you and to you are going to come to pass and your expectation will not be cut off. So don't worry. It's going to happen just exactly as God said. Now, we find also the same phrase is used commonly in the Bible. Jeremiah 29, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And the thing that we have... Uh, you know, this is what Jeremiah told the children of Israel before they went to Babylon. And so you can base, or the foundation of your expectation is the promise that God has given to you. You're going to be there 70 years. So base your expectations on that, right? Base your hope on that. And that's what he's telling the people there. Jeremiah 31, And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. There is hope. You know why? Not because I'm telling you, but because God has said. God's words never fail. They come to pass. So Jeremiah could get up with, thus saith the Lord. He could get up with great confidence. He could get up with all assurance and tell the people, hey, you're going to come back. You're going to come back to your borders again. Don't worry. God will bring you back. He's not going to forget you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows why you're there. And he knows how to get you back again. Don't you worry. He's actually going to move on leaders that are not even around yet. They're not even sitting on the throne yet. You remember last Sunday we talked about King Cyrus, right? And God's actually going to move kings and kingdoms in order to bring you back. Because God's got all power and you don't need to worry about it at all. My goodness, the children of Israel, you know, they should have went off in the captivity with a confidence and an expectation that they are going to come back. Hey, this is going to work out. It's going to be all right. God's got it. I might not have it, but God's got it. You know, uh, it, it, we, we just want to make sure we stay in the will of God. We want to make sure we stay in stride with God. Right? That's what, that's what our chore is. That's what our job is. Our job is not to make this come to pass, because no matter how hard we try, or pray, or press, we're not going to get back before 70 years. But in 70 years, God's going to bring us back. Hey, this is prophecy 101, right? It's not, it's not 401, it's 101. And so therefore, uh, they, they, they could go with that attitude and have that expectation in their hearts and tell their children and their grandchildren, hey, you wait around, even if I don't live to see it, you're going to go back to the land. Yes, sir. It's a promise of God. And that's how they, that's how they spoke. That's how they had to, you know, communicate with one another. That was the intent of these verses right here. Let me tell you, there's no difference whatsoever in how we should talk to our children and grandchildren that, you know what? Hey, God's got this. Doesn't matter how many viruses arise. It doesn't matter how many calamities come. It doesn't matter how many economies fall. It doesn't matter what the governments do. God's got this. You know what? He made a promise. There's going to be a bride that are going to take the wedding supper and they're going to be in the millennium and they're going to be in glory. They're going to be there. Now one of them is going to be lost. No man can pluck them out of his hand. God's got, a, God's got our hairs numbered, let alone uh, our individual names numbered. Uh, it, it's, it's a done deal. We're going to be there. We should live in expectation of the moment. That's what, that's what, that's what this means. That's, that's the relevance for us. And all of these examples back in the last 6,000 have told us that we should have confidence not because we see it or feel it or smell it or hear it. We should rather have an expectation because God has said it. Prophecy gives us that hope. 
Prophecy lights that fire in your heart that ignites your expectation about the future. Now, prophecy is an interesting thing, and it's a much abused thing. Up in Canada, there's a, there was a very strong movement called the Latter Rain Movement. I don't know if they're still uh, even around now. I have no idea. But when uh, there were a group of people who were very fundamental, and they were very close to what Brother Branham taught. They were very close to a true movement of God. But they got off. And one of the ways they got off is in this case right here. They came up with a teaching in their ranks that said this, For when a gift of prophecy come to a man, they declared him to be a prophet. So that's what, that's what their teaching was. So like many other organizations back in 1953, they had tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, their prophecies given, they had lots of things that took place in their services. Back in that group, though, if you were a member of that group and you prophesied, all of a sudden you were elevated to the position of a prophet. And Brother Branham said, there's quite a difference. He said, now that's wrong. There's quite a difference between a gift of prophecy and a prophet. A gift of prophecy is in the church, but a prophet is born a prophet. That man might prophesy tonight. He might never prophesy no more. It might be on that woman over there the next night. This man back here the next night. You remember Brother Branham went to Michigan and saw a man prophesy and another one interpret. One was a real Christian, the other one was an adulterer. Right? That gift of prophecy is in the church by virtue of the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. And here's where they are. 1 Corinthians 12. For one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, the other the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy. How can that happen? That can happen because the rain can fall on the just and the unjust. So you can be an unbeliever and be in a church where the Spirit is falling, and there can be a gift of prophecy operate right in your midst there. So it's important uh, to understand that just because a person prophesies does not make them a prophet in the sense that we understand a prophet like Paul or William Branham in the end time, right? Are we okay with that? There's a difference, okay? And I'll highlight a few things here, but there's many places where Brother Branham very carefully goes through that and makes a distinction between one of the gifts of the Spirit that can operate in the church and he says, a real troop born-again prophet. There's a difference. Now, take your Bible. Let's go back to Second Peter chapter 1, if you don't mind here. And let's just look a little bit at what Peter says to us. Because this is a kind of an important cornerstone teaching for us, especially today. Moreover, in verse 15, I'm in Second Peter 1.15. By the way, all of Second Peter is, in a sense, a prophetic statement. It's considered that. It's about, mainly about events to come. It's about events that relate to the end time and the end of the world. And uh, there are many things that we can apply today out of Second Peter. But let's look at this part. Peter says, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able to, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. I'm doing this teaching for the same reason. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I will assure you that back in that day, when the early church started, there was a lot of people who looked at that as an incoming fad. 
They looked at it as something that was started by a bunch of Jews who uh, no longer wanted to be a part of uh, you know, their synagogue, or they were run out of their synagogue because of their errant beliefs. As a matter of fact, they believed, and this was a phrase that was used in the early church, um, about the early church, sorry, back in that day, it was an invention without much reality. And that's what cunningly devised fables means. That Peter said, there's lots of people who are saying that this is just an invention. These promises and these thoughts here about Jesus returning and Jesus raising from the dead, it's just really an invention without any reality attached to it. There's no truth attached to it at all. And that's what they, that's what they circulated back in that day. That's how they viewed uh, the Christian faith back in that time. And so Peter says, uh, this is not that. This is not some invention of ours. And so he, he expounds on that, and he says in this uh, verse 16, in the bottom of it there, he says, we have not followed these cunningly devised fables. Uh, verse 17, for we, we, he received from God, the Father, honor and glory, uh, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, Peter is, is saying this like this, that, hey, folks, uh, you can't say this didn't happen. I was there. I've been there, saw that, got the mouse pad, got the t-shirt, I was there, I saw it, I was right among this, this event happening, and it was absolutely, totally true. And there is nothing in my mind that could make that event untrue. That's the way he's saying it, that this is very, very clear to me, it's very real to me. I was there, and others were there, and there were witnesses there people who actually saw it and experienced it. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, stop for a minute and just let's add this little piece to it that Peter is saying this in response probably to a lot of Jews who are doing nothing but fighting this new movement of Christians who are out there who they believe are just uh, making, making a lot of these things up because they were saying, hey, Compared to what we have, and what we have is written by God's finger in stone. You've got, you've got these ideas here. You've got these sayings. You've got these promises that are not written at all. But let me take you to my church, and let me show you what's written in stone in the tabernacle here. Written by the finger of God. And he said, thou shalt do this, and thou shalt do that. And, uh, you know, the Jewish people would have withstood Peter based on this idea that this is just really... Human foresight. This is just really human thought. And, and a lot of the Jewish rabbis and so forth, they fought Peter and the early church on this idea. But he says in verse 18, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. But 19 says something that's very important to all of us, and that is this. We, also have, a, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. This is not just based on what I saw and what I heard and what other witnesses saw and heard. This is not just based upon our association with Jesus walking around with him and sitting around the campfire and him telling us about events that are going to come. But he says... The whole thing is based on something even more sure than that, and that is the word of prophecy that had been given long before Jesus even stood on the earth. Because he said, these men who wrote the Scripture, knowing first that the prophecy of the Scripture is, uh, is knowing this first, 
that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time, but the will of, of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So therefore, it's God's prerogative to prophesy, it's God's prerogative to say something, but it's also God's, God's, God's order to fulfill that. And God fulfills His word by bringing it to pass. You have to, in, in Prophecy 101, in this class, and there will be a test, you have to understand this first thing, that no prophecy fails. And number, number two, that God fulfills His Word by bringing it to pass. There's no more sure understanding of a prophecy of God than if God prophesies it back here. It's not human insight. It's not human foresight. It's not human prediction. It's not Nostradamus guessing. It is God speaking categorically, specifically, and telling us what the future actually holds, and then bringing it to pass exactly as God had said by people that are on completely different ends of the spectrum. So in other words, there were things that were said in the Garden of Eden that God brought to pass over here in the days of Jesus. There were things that Daniel saw and said and were sealed up until the time of the end, and now we're living in the days when those things are coming to pass, right? It's not coincidence. It's not guesswork. It's not human, uh, human uh, you know, foresight here and saying, I think this is the way it's going to be. Let me tell you something. When you get into this idea today of asking the smart people what the future holds, you think it's wacky now. Just wait till you hear what some of them uh, are prophesying about the future. My goodness. I thank God for the message. I thank God for the message ever since I heard of it. I thank God for it every day. And I thank God for it. I, I, I will say this. I'll thank God for it until my body is made new and living on the other side of the chasm. Because it's the most solid sound thing that there is in the world. And it's getting worse and worse. Take your Bible for a minute. I don't have this written down. Go back to the book of Luke, if you will. Book of Luke, chapter 1. Let's look at one little example here. Luke chapter 1. This is Zacharias now. He's prophesying after his mouth has been made uh, loosed. He's, his tongue is loosed and he's able to speak now. And, uh, you know, the, uh, John the Baptist is uh, there and so forth. And his father Zacharias speaks. So 67, Luke 1, 67. His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of all his prophets which have been since the world began. Let's look at that again. 68. Who's he talking about? The Lord God of Israel. 69, 68. He has visited and redeemed his people. 69. He's raised up an horn of salvation. That was prophesied back in 2 Samuel chapter 22. It's also prophesied back in Psalms 18. These are things that the prophets said would, would be the event of the Savior coming. He has raised up a horn of salvation. Horn means power. And he's raised it up in the house of his servant David. So he prophesied out of his lineage, kings would come, right? Out of Judah, kings would come. 
Jacob said that on, on the deathbed, uh, on his deathbed, when he blessed all of his sons. You remember that? The scepter shall not depart until uh, Shiloh shall come. Genesis chapter 49. 70. As he spoke by the mouth of all his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. What's Zechariah doing now? Notice, he's filled with the Holy Ghost. This is before the day of Pentecost, but yet the Holy Ghost has anointed him to be able to say things that are in harmony with the scriptures that have been prophesied or the promises that have been made way back here. And now he's rejoicing because, you know what? That is coming to pass. This day, these scriptures are being fulfilled. Glory to God. And he's excited and he's on fire and he's saying this is that which was spoken by those prophets. And it caused a joy in his heart. Hey, God hasn't forgot his people. God has not left us. God has not, uh, you know, forsaken us. But he's given us a remedy for sin. He's given us an answer to our, lo- our, our lost condition. He's given us what we need in order to come back in harmony with God. This is not about bulls and goats and turtle doves anymore. This is now the Savior himself. And he's standing there. And my son is the forerunner of that Savior. He's excited. He's happy about that because he's got a recognition of the prophecy that's been given being fulfilled in his day. Do you believe that there's any cause for rejoicing among us? Why? Not because we're going to get new carpet, but because we're living in a day when so much of what God has said is coming to pass Or has already come to pass. And you don't have to take my word for it. You don't even have to take your word for it. You can take God's word for it. Glory to God. The fulfillment of the word of God in your day and in your view and in your understanding is a cause for rejoicing. You didn't prophesy it. You didn't bring it to pass. But you know what you are? You are a witness. And if you're a witness, you ought to rejoice over that. That's the beauty of prophecy fulfilled. So this is what, uh, this is exactly what, uh, Zechariah said, that as the prophets have said. In the same way that when they came out of the upper room and Peter addressed the crowd that was outside in the streets in Jerusalem that day, he said, this is that which the prophet Joel had said. This is exactly the fulfillment of those promises there. A lot of people might have different opinions on that, but it really doesn't matter because it's not Peter fulfilling the word. And it wasn't his word against theirs. It was God fulfilling his own word. And when God fulfills his own word, may God give us the eyesight, spiritually, to catch it. That's what you've got to pray for. God would give me the insight to catch it. God would give me the clarity of understanding to catch it. And realize that even though other people interpret it another way, you know what? This is God. This is God moving on the scene. Here's Brother Branham looking over there, and the Pope, Pope Paul VI goes over to Jerusalem. And, you know, there's an eclipse and so forth. And Brother Branham said, whoa, whoa, you know, this is an important event. He's got an insight there, and he's catching something that the rest of the world really glosses over. Remember the cloud that was shown over Arizona? Right? Still de- the scientists are still debating over that. But nonetheless... And Brother Branham, you know, was there in his living room, and he had the photograph of it, and the angel told him, said, turn it the other way. Whoa. He sees something. He's catching something that God is doing right in his particular time. Right? May God give us the sensitivity like that to be able to catch what God's fulfilling in our time. That's what Prophecy 101 is all about. 
Brother Branham said this in the voice of the sign. If his prophecy is true, if the prophet's prophecy is true and comes to pass, then, then it is the warning of God. Now, in Numbers 12 and 6, we find the same thing in the Scripture. If the prophecy is true, if the prophet's prophecy is true and comes to pass, then that is a warning of God. Numbers 12. Moses writes, and he said, now hear my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. Stop for a minute. This is a scene where Aaron and Miriam make fun of Moses for who he married, and God didn't like it. And God comes down on the scene himself, and with a borrowed voice he says, here, I want you to listen up for a second. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, will speak to him in a dream. That's how I normally deal with things. But I want you to know something. My servant Moses is not like that, who is faithful in all my house. With him, I'll speak mouth to mouth. Like, this guy is not just a, a prophet in the list of prophets. This guy is my friend. And I come down and speak to him mouth to mouth. Now, if you were smart, you would not mess with a prophet, because that's a prophet of God. But if you were anywhere near smart, you wouldn't mess with Moses. Because, you know what? I come down and visit him. There's not too many other people in the world I come down and visit, but I do visit him. And I don't like you messing with my friends. Just, I'm just saying. Now, you remember the outcome of that story that Mo, uh, Miriam is judged with leprosy there. Moses jumps in the breach, prays for her deliverance. She's healed, but dies shortly afterwards. I'm pointing right at you. She dies shortly after. Sorry, Joe, you just happened to be there this morning. So this is, the, this is how important that God views this whole, uh, this whole idea of, of dealing with prophets, that if a prophet says something and it comes to pass and it's true, that's a warning of God. And you ought not to take that lightly at all. And that's what Brother Ram's underscoring. Now, <clears throat> the difference, Jeremiah chapter 1, the difference between a gift of prophecy within the assembly and a true prophet is stated here. The word of the Lord came unto me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And I said, Ah, Lord God, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go unto all that I, I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, shalt thou speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. These prophets operate on a different level than we do. They operate in a kind of a realm or kind of relationship with God that we normally don't have. And God somehow forms them in a specific way to use the faculties that he's made in them to be a spokesman for them. Now, you'll find many places like this where Brother Branham says that the well, he, he talks about the difference between uh, prof, the gifts of prophecy in the church and a real prophet. And Brother Branham had to do that because there were so many people who believed in prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues in his day. Not that there's anything in the world wrong with that. But here's a prophet standing there 
And people are assuming, even in his time, they're assuming that if somebody prophesies, they're a prophet too. And that's just not true. We're dealing with a different order of a uh, different order of uh, function within the, the body of Christ, okay? So, Brother Branham says, a gift of prophecy and a prophet is a million miles different. A man with a gift of prophecy can be told before the church, two or three, uh, discern that is true, but not a prophet. A prophet is an office. He's an office. In one place, Brother Branham makes a really neat statement, and he says uh, that he... Uh, you know, a prophet ascends into that place where the mind of God is. And he said he, he can take something that God shows him out of that little, he says, the gable end, the very, the very corner of God's thoughts. And he says he'll take it and come back to earth and he'll say it uh, in a particular way for, for a particular time. And he said it's just amazing because these prophets are not coming up with their own idea. They're rather ascending into a place where they catch the thought of God and come back on the earth and say it. Now look, I realize what I'm doing. I'm putting all of you on the spot if you haven't figured this out yet. Because if what I just said is true, if these prophets are actually taking thoughts from the mind of God and expressing them, then you know what? You either have to believe it and believe it with all your heart, or you've got to run from it as fast as you can. One or the other. There's no halfway with some of the things that he said, with what Brother Branham said. There's no halfway with the prophecies that are found in the Bible. I mean, there's just, there's just no halfway. So either it's true or it's not. And that's where your faith comes in. You've got to believe. And it's not important that you believe me, but it is important that you believe the Scripture, that if a prophet gives a prophecy and it does come to pass, that's a warning. You've got to believe that. So, for instance, you know, a man like Noah, when he went out there and preached for 100 years, he gave all, all kinds of warnings to the people out there. Not many people who believed that he was actually who he was. It didn't stop God. God went ahead and fulfilled what he had to fulfill. All right, let's watch for a minute here. Here's the definition of prophecy, and I just want to show you this uh, in the Bible, okay? A prophecy is a discourse emanating from divine inspiration declaring the purposes of God. That's what it is. It's something that is in the mind of God, and it's expressed. Now, remember, God knows the future as well as the past and the present, so he can say things about the future as freely as he, we can talk about the present. <clears throat> Number one. It, is, it serves to reprove or admonish the wicked. Number two, it can comfort the afflicted. Number three, it can reveal things that are hidden. And four, it can be an expression of the divine mind. Watch this. Number one. In terms of reproof, <clears throat> a prophecy given, Genesis 2.17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof... Thou shalt die. God gave that warning. He expressed what was in his mind to Adam and Eve and make sure they understood it. <clears throat> you remember Abimelech in Genesis 20. Now therefore restore the man his wife. This is Sarah and Abraham he's talking about. And God says to him, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. And he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, then thou shalt surely die. Thou and all that are thine. A prophet sometimes comes and brings those admonitions to uh, the, the people on earth. They, remember uh, uh, the prophet who came to David and told him, 
The prophet's name was? No. The prophet who came to talk to David and discovered his child by Bathsheba, and David was trying to cover it up, and the name of the prophet, we're not going anywhere until we get the name of the prophet. Nathan the prophet. And he told, he told David, <clears throat> he prophesied, you know, he, he, he told David what his sin actually was. So sometimes prophets do that. Just like John the Baptist going to Herod's, uh, the Herods in his day and talking about their uh, unlawful marriages. Sorry. Prophets also deliver a message of comfort. <clears throat> you remember when Elijah came to the woman who uh, was running out of the meal and the oil. Remember that? And her, she was afraid her barrel of meal was going to run dry. He said, fear not, but go and do as thou hast said. Make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after making for thee and thy son, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, and neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she did it. Because she believed that this was a, uh, a word from God. And she absolutely had no uh, hesitation at all. But let me tell you, based on what we know, Elijah must have seen this happen somehow. He must have known, uh, you know, that th- this woman has nothing to worry about. God's going to sustain her, and God's going to give her bar- uh, flour in the bottom of her barrel every time she went to it. So that's the job of the prophetic as well. Thirdly, it reveals things that are hidden. A prophet reveals things or declares things that are not obvious. Matthew 24, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left one stone upon another, and that shall be uh, thrown down. You can imagine how they must have looked at this. This is the cornerstone of their faith. This church in Jerusalem, in the, city, in, the, in the country of Israel. And, I mean, this is where it all happens. This is what God ordained. This is what God designed. And they're sitting there looking at Jesus, and they must have wondered in their minds, even if they didn't really say it, but they must have wondered in their minds, are, is, are, is this for real? Or like John Harwell would say, really? Like, I mean... This is, how could this be? Because it does not sound logical. It does not sound reasonable. But Jesus is standing there saying, hey, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. We've been there. I've seen the stones many times of that original wall, and they're, they're piled up. Some of them are still just piled up in a heap at the bottom, of, at the base of the wall there. It's just an amazing thing to watch. But Jesus is saying this as clearly as if, it had already happened. He's saying it as confidently as if it already happened. The fourth part of prophecy is to declare the mind of the Lord. <clears throat> Take your Bible for a minute. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 24. Watch this. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 24. If you have your Bible, this is a good time to crank it up and Leviticus chapter 24. There are commandments being given here in the previous chapters. And then in chapter 24 and verse 10, the Bible says, And the son of an Israelitish woman whose father was an Egyptian, 
This is the, the, the scenario. They have a son. They went out from among the children of Israel, and this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought him unto Moses. And his mother's name was Shalometh, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in prison. Ward is prison. That the mind of the Lord might be showed them. Here's a guy who, he's got Israelite genes in him. He's got Israelite citizenship because his mother is Jewish, and that's the way the Jews do it over there. So he's, he's, a, he's a citizen. Therefore, he's liable to answer to the law. And when they hear him struggling, struggling is not a, not a unique thing, but here's this Jew taking the name of the Lord in vain, and he's cursing and all of a sudden, the people who are around and witness this, they grab him and they take him up to Moses. And the decision is, put him in the prison, because this is serious stuff. And here's the question that they're trying to find the answer to. Does God really mean what he says? Right? That's the question at the end of the day. If there was a penalty, like if you take the name of the Lord in vain, you pay 50 shekels and, uh, you know, spend a half a day in the tabernacle sweeping and, you know, all right, there's the penalty, I can do it. But the penalty for this particular sin, for this particular action is death. So they've got the life of this young boy or this boy in their hands. And Moses says, put him in prison. We want to know the mind of the Lord. We want to figure out what's, what God's really going to do. In other words, is his, not that Moses is doubting now, but they're, they're, ask, they're asking the question, does God really mean what he says? Is God really going to act on what he gave when he gave those commandments? That's the question we need to settle here. So they're all looking at this guy going into the jail. They hear the click. Now they're collectively waiting for the answer as to what God really thinks or what's in the heart of God. 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him. As well the stranger as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall he put to death. The question's answered. Does God really mean it? And God says, I do. What I said, I'm going to bring to pass. And all you that heard it, I want you to walk by him and just put your hand on him to transfer what you heard, the blasphemy, transfer it back onto the sinner. And everybody who heard that, I want you to lay your hands on him. And then everybody takes stones and we're going to say, we're going to put that out of the camp because God did not want that in the camp. Now, 
I simply say this, and I think it's a great illustration to prove this one simple question. If God meant what he said back then, does God still mean what he says today? Is God the, is God, the God we serve? Is the God uh, a God of his word? Is he a God who actually will stand behind his word? And after all those Ten Commandments were commandments, they were not the Ten Suggestions. They were not the Ten Personal Thoughts. They were commandments. And so if they are commandments in uh, God's house, then God actually did truly mean what he said, and he's going to back it up. He's going to fulfill or perform what it is that he said back there in the commandments. You have to understand, and as sobering as this is, because you're all looking at me saying... What did I say last week? I will give you a piece of advice. It's never a good thing to take the name of the Lord in vain, either in anger or in hurt. It's never a good thing to do that. Listen, I don't know how it worked. I think I've mentioned this to you before. I don't know how it ever worked. But when I was a sinner, never knew God, never knew anything about God, if I was with somebody, and I was with lots of people who took the name of the Lord in vain, Whenever they would say the name of Jesus in, in anger or whatever else in filth, I'd, I'd bow my head. I would just, I would always react. I would bow my head because, uh, you know, uh, there was just something very um, sacrilegious about that. And I always, I often wondered, I never said, but I often wondered, why are you bringing him into it? Why are you bringing Jesus into it? It has nothing to do with this at all. And I, I often thought that, even when I was a rank sinner doing drugs and all the other things out there, and somebody would take the name of the Lord in vain, I, 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 you know, I'd get nervous. And I could never do it. I could never say it like that in, in vain. I'm always thankful for that. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to be thankful for out of that chapter of my life. But I am thankful for that. And, and it was not that I consciously uh, heard this quote or read this in the Bible, as I never even you know, knew there was an Old Testament back in my day. But I can tell you that God does put things in people that he's going to resurrect years later. And now I understand a little better why that would bother me so much, because I believe I had eternal life back then, even when I was a sinner and uh, did all those things out there. Now, but let's not lose the point. The point is, is that God means what he says, <clears throat> and a prophet... Very often, and prophecies bring that out. They confirm that. They're kind of there when God expresses himself. You remember this in the same story when uh, I, I, we, we read back there just a little bit when Moses was standing there and Miriam and Aaron made fun of Moses' wife, right? Will God, will God act on this? And God comes right down on the scene and Moses is right there with it. The mind of the Lord is that perennial question. It, it's, that, it's that question that we all have. Will God actually bring it to pass? So here's Brother Branham, and he's got visions about America as a smoldering wasteland. Right? He's, he's looking, in 1933, he's looking at, and he says about those visions, he says, you write these down. You write these down. And he's looking out and he sees America as a smoldering wasteland. Whatever, uh, whatever means, he doesn't say how it's going to happen. But he says, that's the way I saw America in the very end. I mean, the question kind of comes up, right? Does God mean what he says? If you believe that was a prophet, then that was not Brother Branham's idea. It wasn't Brother Branham's word picture. Neither was it Brother Ram's means to raise funds. 
it was something that God is actually placing in there in the same way that what he said about the car and what he said about the Maginot line and what he said about the three isms winding up in communism and all of the other things that he said there in those continuous visions and all the other countless visions that he had. And he says, I see America as a smoldering wasteland. You know what that does? That puts a little bit of a weight on our shoulders here this morning because if that's true, I don't want to be here when that happens. If I don't want to be here, then I've got to be somewhere else. If I want to be somewhere else, I've got to find out how to get from here to there before that. Are we okay? That's why Prophecy 101 is important. Because it deals with this whole idea of whether this is really true or not. Whether all of this is really true. But when we think about this, it also helps us to make sense of the fact that we can now understand what's taken place because we have confidence in the things that are prophesied about our time and to believe that God is actually loosening up the church. Loosening up the church means that we would be losing our grip on this world and this world losing its grip on us so that we can be free to rise. Remember now, our destiny is forward and upward, right? And if that's the case, God's got to loosen up the bride in the same way that you would loosen up the roots of a tree in order to pull it out. You, you have to do some loosening, and you've got, you got to make sure that you work hard to, to work everything around so that things are loosened up before this is, this is all wound up. So this brings us to this. There are certain prophecies that the Bible talk about. Ezekiel chapter 7 is one. But they that escape of them shall escape, and they shall be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning, everyone for his iniquity. Stop. Ezekiel is talking about the end, and he's talking about the judgment cycle that the world comes into. There are several places in the Old Testament where the people are running to the mountains and they're running to the hills as a place of cover. That's why Jesus said, you know, there will be a time when they'll say to the mountains and the rocks fall on us. He's referring to many prophecies given in the Old Testament about how this end time cycle unfolds. There are people caught in the destruction. There are people who are taken away. There are people who are in Israel. Everybody clear on that? In the la- when it all winds up, there are people in the Gentile world looking for cover. They're looking for a place to run, a place to hide. A lot of people are going to be in that boat. There's another small group of people who are going to be in glory then. And thirdly, there's another group of people who are in Israel. And they're in a strange new light. A light that answers the questions they've had over all the years. So that's the three places that people are at the very end. Ezekiel is prophesying and saying that they, they, uh, they shall be on the mountains and so forth, and they will be mourning for their iniquity. All hands shall be feeble, and all knees shall be weak as water. 
all. And they shall also gird themselves with sackcloth, and horror shall cover them, and shame shall be upon their faces, and baldness upon all their heads. These are the, the garb of somebody who's in mourning, or, uh, you know, they're in distress like Job was. They shall cast their silver in the streets, and their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They shall not satisfy their souls, and neither fill their bowels, because it is the stumbling block of their iniquity. Wow. I mean, that's, that's what you call sobering. That's what you call sobering. Because the time will come, and Brother Brandon makes another statement over here, and he says that, you know, they'll, uh, they'll be walking around with wheelbarrows full of money, not being able to buy bread in that last day. They'll cast their silver and their gold in the streets when that time comes. And here's Brother Bram, he comes along, like I mentioned to you, in the fourth seal, and he says, at the very end of all of this, he says, it's going to, uh, he says, it's all about money. It's all about how these systems are all, you know, working towards money and the Antichrist and all the rest of it. And then he says that the Catholic Church will actually pay off the debt of the United States, and he said, then we'll be sold out. Can you go back in history in another time and find out when nations were bought and sold like that? Some of you folks are pretty smart in finance, and I, I couldn't think of another time where a, a, a nation, let alone a church, bought a country, bought the United States. Wow. Let me tell you something about the United States, and I, I want to tell you more about the United States here. And again, I'm not running down rabbit holes here. I'm following things that are said. It's taken us from 1776 when the declaration was signed. Was the declaration signed in 1776? We were there, right, in Philadelphia. Just checking. It's taken us from 1776 to 2008 to come to a trillion dollars in debt in the United States. We never had a trillion dollars in debt until we come to that particular point in time. Do you want to know how much we are now since 2008? And how much now we are in debt since 2008? We came to that trillion dollar mark. We're in a lot of debt. That money comes from somewhere. And it's where it comes from. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Because governments who are composed of politicians and their different agendas and so forth, once you open up a valve when it comes to creating wealth and creating money, it's really hard to close the valve. It's really hard. So therefore, there's all kinds of um, money, in a sense, being created and moved around in the world here. And... Uh, you know, I've told you a little bit about the Vatican Bank and how that they uh, started. They only started in the 1940s because the Italian government was wanting them to just be quiet and we'll give you the things that you want to have. I'm making a long story short, but we'll allow you to have your own bank. The bank only had one shareholder and it didn't have any accountability to anybody in the world. It was, it was a bank, but it didn't have any accountability. It had no rules and regulations. So therefore, uh, 
you could pretty much do whatever you wanted to in that bank. Now, in banks today, there are all kinds of laws and rules and regulations and things that they've got to, they've got to go by in our, in our time. I mean, there's all kinds of them. But if you have a bank that does not have any rules, does not have any accountability, and only has one shareholder, that's the Pope, you can pretty much do what you want. So a lot of groups came along and said, huh, whoa, why don't we deposit some money in that bank? And nobody will find, ask questions of where it all came from. So Joe Blow comes in with a suitcase full of money, or two, and puts them on the counters uh, for the teller and counts it all and deposits it all. Where did that come from? Nobody asked the question. A lot of it was drug money, right? A lot of it was money from the Italian mafia who lived just across the way in Sicily and figured, wow, this is a great way to launder money. Money laundering is just like clothes laundering. It's dirty here, goes through the laundering process, comes out clean on the other end, right? If you take dirty money, put it in a bank, and then you withdraw it out here, and you got to check. But I give Joe a check, right? He's my employee, and I have a million dollars here that I stole from somebody, and I put it through the laundering process of depositing in the bank because they're not going to ask any questions. And then I say, here, Joe, and I write him a check for a million bucks, and Joe's got a million dollars worth of clean money. It's been laundered. Huh. Guess what? All the crooks in the world came to the Vatican Bank, and they, you know, they deposited all kinds of money in there. So there was all big mounds of money that were in the bank because nobody asked any questions. <clears throat> but now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, the Vatican Bank becomes known as a place full of dark secrets and bad people and bad money and all the rest of it. They have no credibility left. They've gotten money from those insurance policies that I told you about in the Holocaust, right? They've got all that money that's piled in there and all kinds of other things that have gone on to get money in there. So it's interesting what happens. A new pope comes in and he says, we need to clean house. And we need to get on the white list. The white list is the list of banks that live according to the rules. There's a white list of banks all over the world, and they... They are banks that are credible. And so he says, we want to be a part of the European Union banking system. In order to do that, he's got to make a lot of reforms. And they're doing it. That reform process that's going on in that system is just amazing. Because now they're able to be a part of the European banking unit. It's interesting. Here's Brother Branham, and he says that all of this stuff... He said it winds up back in Europe. You know why? Because the beast is seated in Europe. He says not in America. The image is seated in America, but the power is in Europe. It's all going, it's all going the way he actually prophesied, if you look very carefully at what he said. It's all happening just exactly the way he described it. Because America is doing nothing but exponentially digging a very, very deep hole when it comes to money and printing money like nobody's business. The changes that come as a result of the economy we live in are going to affect all of us. I'm not here to ruin anyone's day. But I will tell you that the changes that are happening are going to affect the whole world, and they will affect the American people for sure. No American likes to hear that. Because we're an independent people. We've always been sound, hard workers, people who had confidence in the system. 
What shocked me this week as I was listening to some of the broadcasts and I was reading and researching, what shocked me, what really got my attention was the language that these people in who are broadcasters and uh, writing books and I've got mounds of material and all that kind of thing. Because I'm listening, listening to what Brother Branham says over here and then I'm saying, could this be true? And what they're saying over here are the phrases... Brother Branham used. They said the American system is falling apart. This financial world, they said, is falling apart. And they're using the exact words that he's using because they're saying the times we live in are unprecedented. They're unprecedented. And so what we're moving into is a season. And I'm not going to expound on this a great deal here in the next... I want you to come next Sunday, in other words, Okay. I want you to come and, and, and drive your car. I, I mean, I, have, I had somebody who wrote to me the other day and said, uh, is, is it okay for us to write it? I'm saying this in, uh, not as a criticism. But somebody was asking me, should we write a check to pay our tithes because we heard that the government is spying on everybody who gives to a church? And I said, pay your tithes. Don't worry. When it comes to that if it, if it ever would come to that place. But, I mean, there, there, there's all kinds of ideas that are being circulated and all kinds of fears and scares that are out there. This is where, this is where starting at Prophecy 101, we need to come back to something that's sound. Okay? Are you with me? We need, we need to always come back to something that's sound. So, in other words, God gave you a filter. God gave you something to be able to check things by. You don't have to take what I say. You don't have to take what's out there. You don't have to take, uh, you know, different, uh, different people's uh, ideas about it. And there are all kinds of ideas that are out there. You know what we need to do? We need to come back to the Word of God. We need to come back to the Word of God every time. I was telling some another, some another person the other day, I said, when I, when I begin to explore something, it's just like you're going to go build a house. And you drive in four stakes and you, uh, you know, you start to clear inside those four stakes. That gives you your boundaries. You know where your corners are. When you know where your corners of your house are, then, you know, we, we know, we know what we're doing then. We, we, we work within that framework. We work within that context. When we built this fellowship hall, they leveled it, put in a, a rope with four, uh, stakes in it, and we knew exactly where the boundaries of the fellowship hall were. And so for me, when I start doing something, I drive, I, I, I use the scripture and I use the message. And within that, we begin to look and, and understand and ask God to give us insight into what he's actually said. Hey, listen, we are not, we are not here just to have church. We are not here uh, just to go through the motions. We are not here just to, uh, you know, just be churchgoers on a Sunday. God has chosen you. God's God's ordained it that you should be here in this last day for a reason. God has given you a special insight and a special understanding of events that take place in our world that the rest of the world, uh, they really have no idea about. And so therefore, I I believe that God's ordained us for a purpose uh, to reflect truth into a world that's filled with darkness. You are called as lights. You are called as stars in the darkness. And if that's true, then we want to be able to point people the right way. A, a, a bright star at night points people the right way. It, it indicates where they are and where they need to go, and that's exactly what we should be. So in, in, in understanding prophecy, in understanding the, the Bible, in understanding the things that are pertinent to our time, 
Let me tell you, God is impressing upon you that you've got an insight into things that are happening and are going to happen. <clears throat> because, believe it or not, we've actually tapped into the mind of God. This is more than just coming to church. This is more than just, uh, you know, Pentecost plus. This is, to me, this is God making a people who can look at all of it. Just like Enoch did in his day. Look at all of it. And still have a testimony that he pleased God. And walk off the face of the earth with confidence. Because he believed, he believed by faith that God was. And God was going to judge this world. And you know what? I'm not a part of that. And he, God made a place for him to walk off the, the, the earth without death. And I believe we are the people who are going to do that in this last day. But we're going to walk out of gross darkness. We're going to walk out of this scene that Ezekiel describes here. Where people are filled with anxiety. They have no strength. They have baldness on their heads. They have sackcloth as their clothing. And they realize this whole thing is going under. Money doesn't save them. Power doesn't save them. Politicians don't save them. Wealth doesn't save them. Nobody, nobody on this earth has got the power to do it. There is only one Savior. And that is Jesus Christ the Lord. And now, like the, the Bible says in Matthew 25, now they're looking for oil for their lamps to try to see their way. And right in the middle of that, there's a group of people that got oil in their lamps. And they know the way. And they're on their way. They're not afraid of what the future holds. They know, though, that this future is not long on this earth. They're ready to go. Let's stand on our feet. They're ready to go. They're ready to to move. They're ready to take their flight. They're ready to pass from this life into the world to come. Because that's a better place. That's a place that's more real. That's a place that's more lasting. That's a place that every one of us, when we get there, we'd say, Wow, why didn't we want to come here sooner? Why didn't we work towards this place sooner? Why didn't Brother Barry preach a little harder? I, for me, folks, I see no hope for this world. I see that the only hope we have is in Christ. And, and the solution, the best solution, is to locate the last one and take the final steps from this world to that one. We're all a part of that. We're all included in that. And I believe that's where things are going to take us. Let's sing that, um, uh, that little chorus, Matt, as we... As we end here, and uh, <clears throat> let's sing, we worship you in spirit and in truth. Let's sing that. Let's begin and sing that together this morning here. Let's just <clears throat> let's just join together now as we sing this. We worship you. In spirit and in truth, we worship you in spirit and in truth.
Take up your cross and follow Him. Once again now, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross every day. Don't be ashamed to say that you Take up your cross and follow Him. So I go to the rock of my salvation. Go to the stone that the builders rejected. Run to the mountain and the mountain. the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. Again now, I go to the rock of my salvation. Pillars rejected. We run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. But on Christ's solid rock I stand. Go to the rock. And I've got my mind made up. And I won't turn back. Because I want someday. I want to see my Jesus someday. Goodbye, world. Say so long to you. Goodbye, pleasures of sin. Made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. Made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. Sing it again now. I got my mind made up and I won't turn back because I want to see my Jesus someday. That's our prayer. I got my mind made up and I won't turn back because I want to see my Jesus someday. Goodbye world. Goodbye, world. Pleasures of sin. Made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. Made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. I made up my mind. A lot of times we think, you know, when we sing songs like that, like, I did, I decided. Hey, it was not you seeking God, it was God seeking you, right? He puts us in this world, He gives us, uh, you know, a, a little fleck of eternal life, and quickens that, and all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, my thinking is different. But you know what's really exciting to me? 
is that Satan is able to bring the rest of the world to a place where they're looking for mountains and rocks to fall on them. And there's no power, no escape, there's no resource, there's no uh, backtracking, there's no retreat for anybody in the world. The whole world is brought to that place. What power and authority he really must have. But he can't get you to believe a lie. Somebody say amen. He can't. He can do all of that. He can cripple armies. He can strip the world of its resources and its money and everything else. But he can't make you believe a lie. The elect can't be deceived, right? He can't make you believe a lie. And, and he can't pluck you from God's hand. You have a, a power that's just greater than his power. You have a resource in you that's just stronger than all the resources that he has. And the very fact that you're standing here in this church and believing God and uh, singing the praises of God is proof that you're part of an army that Satan just cannot defeat. He cannot defeat God's army. He cannot take God's army. Let me tell you, what you've been given is, is not only an awareness of things that are taking place in our time, and that's what, that's what we're talking about, the, you know, just the realization of what things are going on. It's not a bunch of garbage that's out there and all these ideas that are floating around. Let me tell you, there are things that are prophesied about our time. God's given you an awareness of that. God's given you a solid foundation upon which to stand and, and see those things and share them with others. But I will tell you what, besides that, God's given you a power to resist. God's given you a power to overcome. He's given you the ability to be able to look at all of that in the face as it's falling apart and say, you know what, that's not my destiny. That's not where I'm headed. That's not where I'm going. I'm going to another place. And just like Zechariah went and struck him and realized this is that which God had said, it made him rejoice. It opened his mouth and he began to sing the praises of God, quoting the scripture. I'll tell you what, I believe when we begin to feel that upward pull even more than what we feel today, I believe that, and I know you kids are disappointed because most of the snow is melted here, but I will tell you this, one day we get a little bit closer to that kingdom, begin to feel that draw more than you feel today. I believe we'll have the same reaction. You know what? I ain't staying here. I'm going. I'm on my way. There's something pulling me that's stronger than the pull of this world. And you know what? There ain't no devil going to hold me back. There ain't no power going to hold me down. Let's sing that. Do you know what it is I'm talking about? There ain't no grave. Hey, do you know that song? Come on, David. Come on up here and sing it. Oh, come on. You can do it. David can do it. Wow, I'd like to sing that if I knew it, but I... <laughs> Jaron, do you know that song? No, you don't know that song. Do you want to know where I'm going? All right, let's sing that song. I know that one. Do you want to know where I'm going? Where I'm going soon? If anybody asks you,
the heartache it brings with the comfort in knowing I'll soon be gone as God gives me grace I'm gonna run this race till I see my Savior face to face I'm going up to yonder, I'm going up to yonder, to be with my Lord. Heavenly Father, our destiny is clear. There is only one place for the bride of Christ, and that's with the bridegroom. Lord, your prophet said that you never step foot on this earth until it's been cleansed and ready. The Lord Jesus, we want to come to you. Bring us to you, Lord, is my prayer. Inspire faith in us, Lord, that everything that you've said, everything that you've said, everything you've prophesied will come to pass. Lord, may those things that you have said, Lord, may they they become great revelations in our heart that are unshakable and unmovable. Even among our young people, Lord, that they might have a true awareness and faith and an anchor fact that your word never fails. Prophecies never fail. The Lord, as we move and as we progress in your word and we follow that pillar of fire through these age, ages that we live in, Lord, these last few steps of time, Father, I just pray you give us a growing confidence, Lord, and an assurance in our hearts and a peace that you're absolutely, totally in control. You've spoken about this time. You've spoken about where you're taking your people, Lord, and Father, we put our trust in you. We love you today. We thank you. Father, for those that are sick, there may be some that are here today in the assembly. Lord, I just pray that you'd move among us in a personal way, a special way, Lord, to deal with every heart. Lord, we've seen you do great things. We've seen you, Lord, raise people up who never knew would stand on their feet again. Father, we just believe that you're an awesome God who cares about everything we can go through. Have your way, we pray now. Have your way among us. We pray that you would just give strength and grant to us real understanding of things, Lord, and a peace that goes with that. We give it all to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. All the bride said, I'm going to make it. He's already said I would. I'm going to make it. He's all.
again now? You believe that today? Yes, I'm gonna make it. He's already said that I would. And I'll keep on trusting that He's working everything for my good. you appreciate you being here today and and uh, being with us just trust that god will protect you and your families and guide you in his will remember all the decisions and choices we make now they i think they matter they matter now a lot 
And so we want to be prayerful about the things that uh, we do, changes we make in our in our families, in our lives. So we'd be praying with you. And uh, remember, you have somebody great watching over you, somebody who cares about you very personally, cares about you a lot, because he wants you to be there. He wants you to be there even more than you want to be there. Sing as you go today. God bless you. I give my mind. Just want to be my